Hello, welcome to Pod Academy. This podcast is about how children often learn literacy and language skills, not just at school, but in religious or faith settings. It's presented by Sarah Winkler-Reed, Teaching Fellow in the Department of Archaeology and Anthropology at Bristol University. Faith plays an important part in the lives of many children in Britain. But as Eve Gregory, Professor of Language and Culture and Education at Goldsmith University, told me, very little research has focused on language and literacy learning in faith settings. Eve's three-year-long project aimed to find out about the sorts of learning that happens as children take part in faith activities, in places of worship and services, in faith classes or at home. The project focused on four groups of new Londoners, communities with shared origins and faith who have come to live in London in the last 50 years. The Ghanaian Pentecostal community, the Polish Catholic community, the Bangladeshi Muslim community and the Tamil Hindu community. The project was a collaborative ethnography. Eve's team of 11 conducted participant observation in the faith settings and the children and their families had video cameras so they could record their activities at home. Having recently completed the project, Eve told me what had surprised her and her team most about their research findings. Generally, we were, we were very surprised by the scope of learning taking place in children's lives. We were surprised that in many families, because we are convinced that our families were not exceptional, that actually faith permeates children's everyday lives. Not only are many children involved in regular worship at the temple or mosque or at the church, but they are on a daily basis referring to their faith, using uh, literacies, narratives, texts, hymns, songs, artwork, Uh, from their faith. So we were surprised at the extent of learning and the way in which faith does interpenetrate lots and lots of different learning. We were surprised that you couldn't really separate language and literacy learning. Although the original intention of our project was to focus on language and literacy learning, we realised that you couldn't separate them from cultural learning, from aesthetic learning, artistic learning, creative learning and moral learning as well. And all of that formed becoming part of a community Mm. because that was the crucial thing all of that gave children a framework a sort of guidebook for their lives actually Um, some descriptions of the settings that the children were learning in? There were lots of different contexts. Maybe I could just take a couple of contrasting ones. The Polish children were all very fluent Polish speakers. Now, that, we found out, was not necessarily because the children had come to the country more recently, but indeed there is a history behind all of that. Indeed, there's a history behind each of the groups, and the Polish children, as well as the Sri Lankan children, um, the, the Tamil children, had generally come, their parents had generally come to Britain because their faith 
had been persecuted. Now, in the Polish case, of course, it was during communist times that people were not able to practice Catholicism. And so Catholicism was a symbol, if you like, for the culture and the history of their country. And so it was very important that the language of Polish was kept up within the Catholic faith and that the Catholic faith could not actually be separated from the history and the culture of Poland. And the Tamil community, similarly, because they were Tamil Hindus, obviously they had been uh, persecuted in Sri Lanka and a number of them had come across as refugees. So they were also very fluent um, speakers. Now, the Polish children, in their faith classes, had very formal lessons, and those lessons often linked um, faith with Polish history, and they were all conducted in Polish. The teachers were highly qualified, actually, with degrees often in um, religion and in another subject, Polish or English, and they would only use English if the children really didn't understand the Polish but most of the children had been born in England, but they were still fluent Polish speakers. And one of the lessons that really sticks in my mind was a lesson about saints, because it was the 1st of November coming up, where everybody goes to the cemeteries, and it's All Saints Day, and they honour the dead. And the teacher was talking about saints, and she referred to halos. And they were using words to describe halos, what a halo was, and that it was the light around a saint's head. Um, Indeed, you know, they were looking at different paintings of saints and looking at the, the halos above their heads. And then she said, well, we need to think about this in terms of Polish history. Poland was occupied for 123 years, and those were the times of darkness. Now it's the time of light. So just like the halos around the saint's heads, we're looking at the light coming into Poland. So that was a very formal lesson, very interesting actually. If you contrast that with, for example, one of the Pentecostal lessons. There were enormous numbers of children, all of different ages, but the different ages were generally clustered into different corners of the room. Now, the Ghanaian children didn't keep up the tree language anywhere near as much as the Polish children did the Polish language. But the teachers wanted the children to learn tree, and so part of the service would be conducted in tree, and she would teach the, the children simple rhymes in tree and so the children would learn um, through a call and response approach whereby the teacher would call the children would respond and that is a very familiar way of learning in in Ghana and she would do that in tree so the children would begin to learn tree in that way so it's just two different types of, of of learning taking place the researchers who were working on the project actually went in and taped from the formal classes, whereas the families 
did the recordings at home. And some of these were very intimate uh, settings. Uh, we have a very lovely video recording of uh, Louisa, a child who was saying her bedtime prayers. And she had learned so many different prayers, which she said on a regular basis. So her mother is actually filming her kneeling beside the bed, saying these prayers. It's a very intimate moment, which, of course, no researcher would be able to go in and actually film that sort of thing. We also have um, a video from the Muslim uh, setting whereby one very young child, a four-year-old, is um, sitting in bed with a four-month-old baby beside her and she's reading a story. They mixed me. That's they sent. They sent me. A dinner Here's a too tall. Next him back. The story is in English, but from time to time she uses words from her Arabic class where she's not quite certain of the English word and she's teaching her four-month-old baby and that was recorded um, by an older sibling. I also asked Eve to give me some examples of how children include their faith experiences in their play. One example is uh, two Tamil Hindu children, um, an older boy and his younger sister, creating through Lego blocks uh, a temple together. And admittedly it's the boy, but partly because he's older, who is doing most of the construction. But his sister is also doing it with him. And they're creating uh, the symmetrical form of the temple. They start off by doing one temple, and then they decide to demolish that one and create another one. And they're very carefully looking at the different parts of the temple, the entrance, um, the shape of it, etc., etc. And then, once they've created something that they think is worthy of being their uh, play temple, they take it out in the garden and they reenact part of the service in the temple and particularly they reenact what the priest does with uh, the candles and the light which is the going in um, the, the clockwise direction in a circle around and around to show uh, a worship of the deity so they reenact what's going on there so that's one example uh, another example is uh, in fact she is another um, child of Hindu origin who syncretizes Cinderella as part of a story and um, some of the deities. And she then goes on to tell the story of what happens, she's only a four-year-old child, what happens when the temple closes at night? In the temple, no, um, nothing was real. In the night, everyone suddenly came real. Wow, who came real? Piliad and Krishna and the... What did they do in the temple in the night when they were alive? They they killed all the bad people, yeah. then they ran... Now, of course, in her mind, and probably in the mind of many other young children, all those deities come to life. And they have a wonderful adventure 
of doing all sorts of things together in the temple at night. And then, of course, when daytime comes, they all have to go back to their pedestals and um, be the deities again. So we have lots of different examples, actually, of children playing out what's going on in their faith settings. Tawaf is when people go around the Kaaba seven times. It could be performed in Hajj or Umrah. Um, that's it. <laughs> there are many famous chefs who lead there. Example, Sudeis, Shurem, and Mahal and Wakai. So what sort of um, implications do you think this research has for more general understandings of literacy and learning? I think it shows a number of things. It shows, of course, that literacy learning is much wider than simply learning phonics or um, the names of letters. It shows that children can actually learn narratives within a meaningful context. It shows that even very young children are able to memorise very complex texts, actually. It shows that children are able to become multilingual and indeed learn the scripts of different languages at a very young age. It shows that children are able to translate between those different scripts. We have one film of a nine-year-old um, Hindu child who says her prayers, first of all in Sanskrit, which is of course the language of the religion, then in temple, uh, in Tamil, which is her own um, or her parents' language, and then in English. And we have examples of the Muslim children who are able to read uh, classical Arabic really quite fluently and with a beautiful, again going back to the topic of beauty, uh, beauty is in the intonation as well as in music and narrative, as well as um, learning to interpret those prayers in English. And so these are really highly complex literacy skills that children are engaged in from a very young age. Part of it, of course, is that the families and the faith leaders and the faith teachers always expect those children to succeed. It might take a child a little longer, but nobody thinks about literacy in terms of failure, actually, because how can you fail to become a member of your faith? You don't. If you want to do it, you can do it. And so it's literacy in a very meaningful context, I think. Today is 30th September 2010. We are here to have a family meeting, our weekly family meeting. Let's start with Tahmid. Doing Kirat Asura al Fatiha. So, how does that relate to the sort of learning that children are doing at school? What's the relationship between those two things? Well, that's a very interesting and important point. Um, one of the things that I would very much like to do now, and I'm trying to compose a proposal, in order to actually exchange knowledge with children's teachers, because at present I think that teachers have very, very little idea about all of this learning taking place regularly in many of the children's lives uh, whom they teach. It's not their fault. How would they possibly know if they themselves attend a church, then they maybe have some idea of that particular church, but they can't possibly be expected to know about all the other settings. And so what I'd like to do, try and get teachers to see 
the scope of some of this learning. I would like faith leaders and faith teachers to actually realise that they are important in teaching children not just about faith, it's not just Sunday school, but they are literacy teachers as well. Policy implications, I would hope, would be that, quite simply, faith would be recognised as a learning setting. And as far as children are concerned, and particularly young children, that it not only teaches children morals, but it also teaches them cultural knowledge, linguistic knowledge, uh, social knowledge, how to behave in an intergenerational setting, because there aren't many settings that are completely intergenerational, are there, where young children are coming together with much older people and expected to behave appropriately, as well as linguistic and literacy mathematical in some respects because they learn about um, one-to-one correspondence, directionality, symmetry, etc. So it all seems very positive. Um, Was there anything that you were critical of in... Well, obviously the whole topic you could say people could be very critical of because faiths have a content and sometimes... Uh, people would question, well, should children be learning about some of the content that is um, clearly within the faith itself? Now, as ethnographers, we've made it very clear that we are not there to judge whether Islam is on a different level or perhaps more appropriate or correct than Christianity or of Hinduism. That is not what we were actually looking at. Uh, we were taking what is called in ethnography an emic perspective, which means that we were looking at things with the perspective of the participants. So I can't really judge any of the content of the religion. I think it would be unfair of me to try and do so. As far as other negative things are concerned, some people might say, well, these children might need more time to run around and play and they're spending a lot of time in their faith settings. I can't say that we witnessed at all any lack of any of that on the children's behalf because these were very busy children, actually, and they weren't just attending their faith classes. So what for you personally was the kind of most valuable or the thing you've taken with you from this project? I think right at the start of the project, the way we went about it was that we all brainstormed on our own faith backgrounds. And we all had different things to say, but we carried those things with us and we questioned then all our interpretations at the beginning. And the researcher who worked in the Hindu setting said for her as a young child she went into the faith setting and it was awe and wonder that inspired her and I think it's that sort of awe and wonder now that I've taken with me because it's the energy of some of the people who are actually working in those settings and who are attending and who are putting on dance classes or scouts or cubs or other activities and they do something they really believe in and the community supports them and it's very optimistic and in a way 
I think it's something to be admired that people do things, whatever they happen to be, which they really believe in. I think that's what I've taken with me. Thank you.